Thank you. It's an honor to, honor to be here. I, my life was changed at Life Impact. I was a freshman. I was a little punk. I was a skater boy. It said, see you later, boy. No, I, I, was, um, I was just like this little punk that I, I grew up in a Christian home. And I thought I was a really good Christian, and, but I had nothing to back that up besides I went to church because my parents told me to. And I was a part of the BCM. I came every week to the BCM, but I came to this thing called Life Impact, and my mind was blown about what, how God can not only change me and save me, but He can use me in the lives of other people. There was a speaker, Nick Ripkin, he was um, talking, he wrote this book, you can check it out, it's called The Insanity of God. And he told story after story of people that were willing to literally risk their lives to share the gospel. People that were, were dying uh, and sacrificing their lives to get the gospel out. And I remember thinking, it was a profound thought, if these guys can risk their lives to share the gospel, at least I can walk down the hall and risk a little rejection. <laughs> and one of the persecuted Christians said, never give up in freedom what others would not in persecution. And that got me thinking, man, I need to do something. I don't know what I need to do, but I remember standing up in a, in a room like this, all the OUBCM, I was at University of Oklahoma, and I remember just weeping, just saying, I need to do ministry. I want to share this love that God's impacted for me. I want to share with others. So I have a twin brother, and my brother and I, we were in the dorms. It was a four-story dorm. And every week on Tuesday night, we knocked on every single door, and we called our Bible study the spot. So we said, hey, bro, you're coming to the spot. We got free pizza. We bribed them with everything. Uh, we did everything short of sin, and looking back, maybe some things that were, to get them there. And, and we had a Bible study. We were doing ministry. And that was exciting. We saw several people coming to Christ. Um, and then a guy named Max Barnett um, got a hold of us. He, he met with David and I, and he had us listen to this message. You should all check it out. It's called Born to Reproduce by Dawson Trotman. Write it down if you haven't listened to it. But man, Born to Reproduce by Dawson Trotman. And I, sh I had a shift, David and I, we had a shift from doing ministry to making disciples. Doing, we, because we had all these, we had about 20 fellow freshmen that were at this Bible study. And we were seeing them come to know Christ, but we weren't, didn't know what to do with them. And so we started meeting with guys, and we started seeing them gain traction in their lives. And then I read a book uh, called The Fuel and the Flame. If you haven't read that, you should check it out. Um, it's crazy because now um, Steve, the author, asked me to be the co-author to the new edition. So maybe wait a little bit. We're writing a new edition. Um, check it out, that new edition. But in that book, he made a shift for me. Is It's good to make disciples. It's better to multiply disciples. So it's good to do ministry. Ministry is awesome. I love ministry. It's better to make disciples. It's good to make disciples. It's better to multiply disciples. And ever since I read that book, ever since I started seeing that happen, started seeing spiritual multiplication happen, I've been addicted. I, I cannot stop seeing, I, I live not only to lead some, the only thing better than leading someone to Christ is someone that you've led to Christ discipling someone else and, and, and leading someone else to Christ, and that person leading someone else to Christ, and that person leading someone else to Christ. And 10 years ago, my wife uh, and I, my wife Christy, I have two kids. I have an eight-year-old named Owen, who loves Pokemon and skateboarding on his knees around everywhere. And then I have Evelyn, who's four years old, and she loves princesses. She loves um, 
Elsa, because she has a pretty braid. Um, but uh, we moved to Chico, just my wife and I, and we just started doing what we knew to do. We started sharing the gospel with everyone we could meet, and we started discipling people. And I want to tell you right now, spiritual multiplication really works. It's been 10 years, and we've seen hundreds of students' lives change. The gospel really works. The songs we were singing about Jesus being all-powerful, about Jesus rescuing people, are real. The gospel is the power of God. And so we've seen hundreds of people saved, and we just brought on uh, seven new staff. So now we have 11 people on our staff team, and we're all, we have a vision to plant new ministries all over California. So God has really done amazing things, but it's through the simple principles of sharing the gospel, discipling people, spiritual multiplication. There's a girl named Sophia. She came to Christ last fall. She came to to Chico State. She was just, she was this this life of the party type girl. And one of our student leaders sat down with her and led her to Christ. First meeting, she was just open. God had rigged the whole thing. She was ready to come to Christ. And through a process of discipleship, um, over that that course, Kylie discipled her that semester. And then she did our, our project, a lot like your Gainesville project. We do a Chico project. So if you're thinking about Gainesville project, do it. Okay. Um, but she did Chico project. And this fall, she just has a love for Jesus. She just has a passion to, to share what God's done in her life. God has freed her from some anxieties, some fears. God has done a lot of things in her life. And she just doesn't know any better to share the gospel. And so she led this fall, she led 10 freshman girls to Christ. And she's discipling like six of them, meeting one-on-one, and she's just pouring into their lives. And, and she, she, it's, it's such a joy to, be, to watch the baptisms at our church and see students that were not saved, that didn't know Christ last year, in the baptism pool, alongside next to our pastor, dunking people. And so, so it's just, there's nothing better than that. And so that's what I want for you. I want you to experience real life, which is the life that God has designed you for, which is to be used by God to multiply disciples for the rest of your life. And so my two sessions are going to be focused on that. There's really two parts to the one command to make disciples. Um, In Jesus' last words is in the Great Commission. So that's my first point, is to accept that the Great Commission is my mission. The Great Commission is your mission. Matthew 28, 18-20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Just in case this isn't good enough for you, there's a Great Commission, a version of the Great Commission in John 20, 21, Luke 24, 46 through 48, Mark 16, 15, and Acts 1, 8. Just every, they, all the authors wanted to make sure there was a Great Commission verse going on. Here's the deal, though. This is just as much, what's the command in this verse? Make disciples. Make disciples is, you have, I love the memes, one, you had one job. I follow the Twitter account, and I just love it. I love the you had one job memes. And that is uh, what, what Jesus would say at the end of your life, is you have one job. You had one job, is to make disciples. As a follower of Christ, you have one job. 
This is his last words. And so Jesus' last words needs to be our top priority. At the end of the day, everything that we've been called to do as a church, everything that we've been called to do, evangelism, discipling, it's all about make disciples. That's his last command. And it's just as much your responsibility as if you were standing on the mountain before Jesus ascended into heaven. And so it's been, it's been passed down to you. You might say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. It doesn't matter. Do you have the gift of obedience? That's the, that's the real question. It's not an issue of gifting. It's an issue of obedience or disobedience. Imagine a scene with me. There's a line of, of soldiers ready to march, and the commanding officer says, Company, march! And one guy walks forward. One guy starts marching forward. And so this commanding officer comes up to the guy. He, say, he says things I can't say here. He starts cussing him out. He's like, why, soldier, why did you not march? What if the soldier was like, sir, you didn't say my name, sir. A lot of times we as Christians, we wait for a warm fuzzy. We wait for a liver quiver. We wait for something that, that is going to cause me to think, I need to share the gospel. And Jesus has given us the command. There's no reason not to share the gospel. The only reason, it, the only re good excuse to not be about God's mission is there's no good excuse. It's, it's disobedience. So that was something God did in my life. When I came to Life Impact, I realized this is not just for people that are called to missions. This is my mission. My, I need to take personal responsibility to use the rest of my life to help advance the Great Commission. The next thing that rocked my world was I needed to wake up to the serious implications of eternity. I needed to wake up to that. Have you ever thought about how long forever is going to be? Have you really thought about it? I want to take five seconds and you just meditate. Think about how long forever is going to be. So let's just take a few seconds to do that. It's scary. It's scary to think about. My mind, I start to kind of go crazy when I think about in, in, in the, amazing, the song Amazing Grace, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as a sun, there's no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. In 10,000 years, it's just going to be like a minute went by. If this is real, which I believe it is, then that should change our lives. We should be living for eternity. And I get scared thinking about eternity in heaven with God. Not because I'm not excited about it, just because it boggles my mind. But those are friends, what the Bible says is those are friends and family that don't know Christ are going to be spending eternity separated from God in hell. That's the truth. It's, they're 10,000 years is going to be just the start of the suffering that they have. Those without Christ are eternally separated from God. James 4.14 says, Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Life is short. Go outside on a cold day, you guys don't get any of those in Florida, and breathe once. That is your life compared to eternity. You go somewhere cold, you breathe, that's your life. Just like that. What are you going to live for? Are you going to live for this meaning, meaningless, temporary life? Or are you going to invest in something that's going to matter a million years from now? 
I remember the first time I caught the glimpse of this. We were sitting around, we were singing some worship songs uh, around the campfire. We were having a grand old time. And I just, the truth hit me that my buddies on my hall that were rebelling against God, that didn't know Christ, some of them just didn't, never really knew the gospel, are going to be spending forever separated from God in flames like that. And I just started weeping. I started thinking, these people need Christ. It broke my heart. And that's what I really want that to happen to you. I want you to be bothered in a good way about the eternal state of those without Christ. I, because reality is reality. We can ignore it, but man, it, the only loving thing to do is to leverage our lives to help as many people avoid that. Jude 1.22, it says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. So have you ever wept for the lost? Does your heart break for the lost? Jesus did. Luke 9, 41, it says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus looked over the city, the people that rejected me, and he wept over it. Here's just a few things that God's Word says about those without Christ. It says they are dead in their sins. Think about your, your lost friends and family members. It says they follow Satan. It says they are blinded. It says they are slaves to sin. It says they'll be separated from God forever in hell. That's what the Bible says. It's next slide. Next slide. You can write that down. Here's a question. Does that bother you? Does it bother you? Those, your friends and your family, do you believe the gospel is really real? I got a harder question for you. Does it bother you to, to do, enough to do something about it? Does this bother you enough to do something about it? It bothered God so much that he sent his one and only son. No one cares more for the lost than God. God paid the ultimate price for those without Christ. In 2 Peter 3.9 3, it says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So do we really believe what we say we believe? Do we really believe that the gospel is real, that, it, for, that heaven and hell are real places of eternal destinations? Do we really believe those things? If we do, then we should, the only loving thing to do is to use, to leverage the rest of your life to help as many people as possible come to know Christ. I'm a very simple guy, okay? I'm not some of you mechanical engineering or philosophy majors. I'm a communication major, okay? And so when I see this truth, I think Jesus is the only way that, you, that people can be saved. What, what else do I have to give my life to? Uh, a famous non-Christian criminal, this was years ago, before his execution, a priest was sharing a gospel message with him before he died, and he said this. He said, do you believe that? Do you believe that? If I believed that, I would willingly cr crawl across England over broken glass to tell men it was true. He would crawl across gla glass over England to tell men it was true. It's impossible to exaggerate the urgency of eternity. 
It's impossible to exaggerate. I can hoot, I can holler, I can cry, I can scream at you. There's no way that I could do justice to the urgency of eternity, to the urgency of our mission. Jesus has given us the Great Commission, and it is, Jesus is the only way that people can be saved. So if we love people, we're going we're gonna to do something about it. But when we start talking about this, there's a lot of excuses, a lot of reasons. Well, while I'm in my special case, I don't need to be sharing the gospel. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blast those for you for a minute. So the next thing is we want to reject excuses and lies about sharing Jesus. The first excuse a lot of people have is the fear of rejection. The fear of rejection. And this one has been huge for me all my life. I've, I've wanted to be cool. I've wanted to look good, feel good, have the goods. I wanted to be that guy. And I figured out that sharing the gospel is awkward, okay? And, and it, it's kind of put some tension in relationships. And I would hesitate. There's a, there's a part of me, before I really surrendered my life to Christ, there was a part of me that would really hesitate before I brought up spiritual things with those without Christ. But then Jesus became my God. Jesus became more important than being cool. Jesus became the Lord of my life. Really, being cool was an idol in my life. It was something that I put as God in my life. And 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, it says, We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. Galatians 1.10, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God, or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Okay, so fear of rejection. What if someone says no to you when you share the gospel? You try, to start a, uh, you try to set up a gospel appointment. They say, no thanks, I'm not interested. Okay, when you share the gospel with someone, what are, what are the three things that can happen? There's really only three things that can happen. What are they? Shout it out. They accept Christ. Someone can accept Christ. What else? They can reject Christ. Or what else? You can plant a seed, okay? So accepting Christ is good. Would you guys agree? Okay, Gets anyone with me? Accepting Christ is good. What about planting a seed? Is that a good thing? Okay, what about rejection? Not for them. It's not good for them, but it actually is good for you. First Peter 4, 14, it says, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So if you're rejected because of Christ, you get a, a special blessing from God. Uh, Luke 6, 22 and 23, it says, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the, the prophets. Luke 6, 22 through 23. So rejection is actually a winning situation for you. You should be stoked when you get rejected. You should, you should be giving each other high fives. I actually heard about it. Uh, a group of young people that were doing door-to-door -door witnessing and they were sharing the gospel with people and they would get every time they got a door slammed in their face they would go cha-ching because they got this, the rewards in heaven high five and move to the next person I don't know if I recommend that or not but they were taking God's word seriously we should we you should be do you want to be filled with the spirit do you want to be close to the spirit yes do you want rewards in heaven then make sure you're sharing the gospel enough that you get rejected if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you want to be in step with Him, you want rewards, the, the Bible says that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So you want to be the kind of person that's bold enough to get rejected. Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade, said this. He said, 
Success in witnessing is taking the initiative in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results up to God. The only failure in witnessing is a failure to witness. The next thing a lot of people, reason people don't share is the fear of losing a friend. The fear of losing a friend. Hey, I've got this friend. I don't want to make it weird. I don't want to lose them. But my thing is that should be the very reason you do share with them. Because what kind of a friend knows that this person is heading to an eternal hell and is not willing to have a conversation with them? That's not real friendship to me. Next thing is they've already heard it. They've already heard it. Um, the average person needs to hear the gospel at least seven times before they decide to come, become a Christian. So who cares if they've already heard it? They need to hear it again. Because a lot of people need to have bits and pieces. I've talked to literally hundreds of students all across college campuses and shared the gospel. And most in America, in Oklahoma, in California, I've talked to people all over. And most of them have only what I call a mick gospel. <laughs> they, they only understand like a little bit, just enough uh, gospel to inoculate them to it. They don't really understand the full gospel. And so there's a lot of people also that believe in a works-based salvation. They believe basically that Christians believe that if you're good enough, you'll get to heaven. And there's nothing could be further from the truth. So don't decide for people. You don't know if you're the first or if you're the seventh. Just, just share the gospel and let God do the deciding. Let them tell you if they've heard it before. People need to hear the gospel. Your job is not, and they'll tell you. If they've heard it before, they'll say, yeah, I've heard that before. Your, your job is not to decide for people. Um, actually, the other day, we, were at, we sent out a group. We do what we call random evangelism sometimes. We go out and we share the gospel um, just with random people sometimes. And uh, what we've discovered is there's nothing random about random evangelism. Because God is sovereign and God leads us to people. We, we were talking to a guy and we asked him the question, if you die right now and God asks you, what, what would, what would, if you die right now and God asks you, what, what would I say? Um, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And he said, I was literally like in the shower thinking about that question, what happens after I die? What a coincidence, right? <laughs> what a coincidence that, that God would lead us to someone that was thinking about the very question that we asked him. It's, it's crazy how that works. The next thing is, I don't know how. I don't know how. So the, 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 that's a lame excuse, okay? Because I would say, then learn how. Something as important, the, the last command that Jesus gave you to do, you should equip yourself to learn how to share the gospel. There's tons of great tools and books, and I'm going to share a few of those with you during this conference. But at the end of the day, how did you learn to swim? You learned to swim by getting the floaties on with a, with a trainer, and you got in the water, and you swam. And the way you learn how to, how to witness is by starting to witness, by practicing, by actually just jumping in and go with someone. Our staff, would any of your staff would do backflips out the window if they knew you wanted to share the gospel. So they, they'll take you with them. They'll, they'll, they'll teach you how. They'll be excited to teach you how. But at the end of the day, you learn how to witness, you learn how to share the gospel just by doing it. Just do some Nike evangelism, okay? Just start, just do it, okay? Just, just go for it. 1 Corinthians 2, 1-3. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I came to you in weakness, in fear, and with much trembling. 
1 Corinthians 2, 1-3. So, according to that passage, what do you need to know in order to share the gospel? What do you need to know? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Anyone know that in here? Anyone know that Jesus? Okay. That's what, that's what you need. You know enough to share the gospel. Anyone, when they share the gospel, do they feel weakness? Do they feel, feel fearful? Anyone in here? Yeah, you guys are just a bunch of hardcore people. Okay. I do. I get nervous when I share the gospel. I still get nervous when I share the gospel. I sweat. I'm a sweater. I'm sweating right now. I remember one time I was at a discipleship meeting. I had the worst discipleship meeting you can imagine. The guy was a punk. He was being a, a punk. And I was meeting with him. And he was, there was even some like spiritual warfare things going on. I was super frustrated. I was super drained. And I like to stack up my meetings. So I had a gospel appointment right after it. And so I went straight from this discipleship meeting to this gospel appointment. And this was the cool guy on campus, you know, the bro, the frat guy, the guy, I don't know, whatever it is on your campus. And he was sitting across the table from me and I was drained spiritually. I didn't feel filled with the spirit. I didn't feel pumped to share the gospel. And so I did the worst job of making gospel transitions. I did the worst job at making small talk. And I put this piece, I said, yeah, we have this um, piece of paper. It kind of explains the gospel and stuff, some stuff like that. Do you even know anything about the gospel and some stuff? You know, it was like, I, I, I put it down and, and we just started reading. And it talked about how people are separated from God because of our sin. And he stopped me and he was like, so how can any of us be right with God? I'm like, I know, that's the point. We're getting there. Yeah, just a second. <laughs> And then it talked about what Jesus did on the cross for him. And he's like, wow, Jesus can forgive me. And he basically led himself to Christ just through the reading the, the paper. I, I didn't even need to barely even need to be there. That's what God wants to do through you. He doesn't want to use you because you're smooth or because you're not awkward. He wants to use you because you're, you're there. He wants to use your awkwardness. Because I learned that awkward conversations change lives. And I, that's my prayer for you, is, is you guys, I want to pray that you guys go out and get into lots of awkward conversations. Because last time I, heard, I checked, no one died from awkwardness. I, I've never heard a story. It never happened. Any introverts in here? Anyone that's an introvert? Okay. So I actually think you have an advantage in some ways. With this gospel appointment tool, you can really relate to people and you can come across in a way that doesn't come across like a used car salesman. You, you can really relate to people and, and you can break people down, down people's barriers. There's a girl named Mariana. Uh, she's actually in a video I'm going to show you in a minute. But she is like the most shy, reserved, cute girl. She's just like this little mouse type girl. And, uh, but what she does, she, she's at our large group meeting. She walks up to a girl and she just makes really quiet, small talk. And she says, hey, you want to grab lunch or coffee? I'd love to get to know you better. And then she just leads people to Jesus like crazy. By the time she graduated, um, she's on staff now, but by the time she graduated, she led about 20 other girls to Christ. And she had a downline of student girls that she was discipling that she led to Christ who were discipling others, actually who were even discipling others. And she's just a quiet, reserved, calm, not really that fun to be around. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I like her. I enjoy her. But um, she's a nice girl. But man, you don't need to have a great personality. 
You just need to be faithful. You just need to be you. And you need to love people sincerely. And God uses people like that. So, I'm just lazy is the next excuse. What do you think Jesus is going to say to that one? Proverbs 10.5, He who gathers crops in the summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during a harvest is a disgraceful son. James 4.17, Anyone then who knows the good and he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. This is one of the greatest sins that a Christian can commit, is the sin of silence. The sin of seeing a lost world heading to a Christless eternity and saying, basically, a Christian that's not doing anything about that is saying to the world, you can go to hell. If you had the cure to cancer and you just kept your own personal relationship with your cure to cancer to yourself and you didn't share that with the world, what would they do to you? If they found out that you had the cure to cancer, that would not, you would not want to be around. <laughs> you would want to go hide. You, we have the greatest antidote to the, the worst disease, which is sin. Jesus is the cure to the greatest disease. The worst problem in the world is that people are sinful and separated from God. And Jesus can change that. So let's share that with people. The next thing is, I'm just going to wait until people ask me. I'm just going to wait until people ask me. Let me ask you a question. How many times has someone asked you about your faith? I've had a few times. It should happen. 1 Peter 3.15, it should happen. But I'm, I guess I'm just not that good of a guy. <laughs> like, I just don't have people come, walking up to me, hey, Paul, tell me there's something different about you. Like, it just doesn't happen that often. It does sometimes. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi, he said this. He said, share the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Ooh, that's deep. That's deep, but it's not biblical, okay? It's just, it's the only, it sounds cool, but it's just not what the Bible says. What the Bible says is Romans 10, 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? You can't preach the gospel without preaching the gospel. <laughs> you have to actually share the gospel. It's like feed the poor if necessary, use food. It doesn't work. Now, we should be living our lives. We should, the gospel, the best kind of gospel witness is show and tell. It's show and tell. So we should be living, our lives should back up the message that we're proclaiming. But I once heard about a businessman that was all about just the show part. He was all about trying to live the good life. He was a Christian businessman. He was the nicest guy. He was the kindest guy. He was full of joy. He was full of peace at the workplace. He loved people well. And it turns out he was praying for people in his workplace. He was doing everything but share the gospel. And his coworker came up to him and said, hey, guess what? Something amazing happened. I accepted Christ. And the businessman said, oh, praise the Lord. I've been praying for you. And the new believer looked at him and was like, what? You're a Christian? You're the reason that I put off becoming a follower of Christ. Because you led such a good life. You led such a good life, I felt like maybe I didn't need Jesus in my life, so I put it off longer. <laughs> Needless to say, that businessman now does both. He lives the life, it's show and tell. So don't be that guy that just thinks pe people are gonna come ask you. This is the one, this is the last one, is the most tricky. Um, it says, if I share the gospel with people too soon in a relationship, it might turn them away. 
This one's tricky because it sounds logical. If I share too soon, it might turn them away. Again, it doesn't sound like the way that Jesus and the early church did ministry. Acts 20.20, it says, You know I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. We have a motto in our ministry is, When in doubt, share the gospel. When in doubt, share the gospel. This is the Apostle Paul. He said, You know I have not hesitated. There, there, is, there should be a boldness about it. There should be a courage about us as followers of Christ. One of our goals at Challenge at Chico State is we want to share the gospel, do a gospel appointment with every single person that comes to any of the challenge events. So this school year, we've set up about 300 gospel appointments this semester. We've, we've sat across the coffee shop table with about 300 students, and we've shared the gospel with them, and 110 of those have prayed to receive Christ. And so almost every single day, and we, have a, it's, we don't have a bigger core team than most people. We have about 50 people on our leadership team. So we have 50 people that are all sharing the gospel, and they're seeing almost every single one of them has led someone to Christ this year. Because the gospel is the power of God. The gospel works. It's not our job to, to worry about if someone's ready or not. It's our job to proclaim the gospel. One thing I love to do every day when I wake up in the morning is I pray, ask God for an open door to share the gospel. And I'd encourage you to try that habit. It's asking God for an open door. But what I do also is I ask God for open doors, and I also jiggle handles. I check, is this one, anyone in here, anyone want to talk? And so I'll start conversations for the purpose of, of gospel conversations. A great question is, hey, can I ask you an interesting question? Do you have any interest in spiritual things? Boom, you're in. You can, you can start, you can, you can take the, the initiative in the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Some people may be offended by your message. Make sure it's the message that's offending them, not the way you're sharing. So don't treat people like projects. Treat people like people. Love them. But share courageously. Share boldly. Some people will be offended, and, but that's just the message. That will offend them. But usually I found when I do a gospel appointment, when I sit down with them, I really love them. I've actually been thanked, even by the ones that are like, no, I really don't like what you just shared with me, but I appreciate the way that you did it. And I appreciate you taking time. I've had people that grew up in church their whole lives, and they said, I've never had a leader sit down with me over coffee just to get to know me and to, and to ask me about my life. So thank you so much. There's something about doing a gospel appointment, do, sitting across the table from someone and really taking the time to do that, that really helps people um, and loves them. So have you guys seen this, the scale? There's a scale in evangelism. Someone might be a negative 10 or a negative 8. That means they're like really far from coming to Christ. Some people are negative 4. That means they're kind of might be interested. Negative 2, negative 1. Negative 1 people, all they need is the gospel and they're in. Uh, and then there's the pro progress of sanctification on the other side. So salvation is like 0, 0.0. So the, you know how I've discovered how to find out where someone's at on that, on that scale? It's to share the gospel with them. 
The gospel is the divine litmus test, okay? It's the way that you tell, okay, this person is a negative four, so kind of based on, and then you can serve them, you can love them, you can give them books, you can, you can help them, pray for them, help them get them plugged into the ministry. And we have a lot of people say no. When we share the gospel, we have a lot of people say no. And that's okay because we're working our ministry. What I'll say if someone says no, I'll say, hey, I understand this is a big decision. One of the purposes of our ministry is to help people explore what it means to have a relationship with God. So man, you come in tonight, come in a challenge tonight, come into our social and get him plugged in. And we have a lot of people that say no up front, but like a couple months later, they're on the front row worshiping Jesus. I had a guy come up to me and it was a couple months after we shared with him. We probably shared with him about seven times, but it was like half of a whole semester. He came up to me, he's like, hey, I did it. You did what? What did you do? I'm, I did the thing. <laughs> I'm in. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord, you know. I think some of us are too smart for our own good. I think we, we think, we, we try to overanalyze, and I call it the paralysis of analysis. And I heard this story of Mark Middle, Middleberg and Lee Strobel. They did this thing called Skeptics Corner. And what they did is they invited all the skeptics in the area to come to these things where they would do a lecture on a controversial topic, and then they would field questions. And they would, they would just answer questions, and all the hardcore atheists would flock, and then curious people would come sit in the back quietly. And then afterwards, they would go up to the curious people in the back, and they would say, hey, what would you think about that? And they would lead a ton of those people to Jesus. And at one of these meetings, there was this little old lady that was actually the, the wife of Paul Little, who wrote a great book called How to Give Away Your Faith. It was Paul Little's wife. She walked up to them, and she, she looked at him. She kind of was hunched over. She, she walked up, and she said, Do you know why God is using you guys? Do you know why God is using this? She said, Because you're dumb enough, dumb enough to believe that God could use the gospel. <laughs> you're dumb enough to believe that God can do this. That's what I want to be. I want to be dumb enough to believe that when I share the gospel with someone, he can change a life like that. Because I believe that that's the God I serve. I've, I've seen God do it over and over and over again. I've seen God take someone that I thought wasn't going to be interested. And the gospel is the power of God. God can change the worst sinner on your campus in a second. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 1 Corinthians 4.20, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. 1 Corinthians 4.20. When you share the gospel with someone, this is not just an exchange of information. You are backed by the presence and the power and the authority of the King of Kings. You are backed by the, the great commission of Christ. He's saying, I will be with you. This is, this is not just the downloading of information. This is a spiritual moment where God has a potential to break into this person's life and to change them forever. Our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is in God. Our confidence in evangelism has nothing to do with our techniques. It has everything to do with who God is and the power of the gospel. On our campus, we've started um, doing different, four different student-led times of evangelism called Prayer, Care, Share. And we just go out and we just talk to people. We just start, start gospel conversations. It's very low pressure, very relational. 
And almost every day, we're seeing someone come to Christ. Every time we go out, and, and my students don't know any better. <laughs> they don't, don't tell them it's not normal, <laughs> okay? Because God is choosing sovereignly to lead them to people that are, have been thinking about this or have been wanting to get plugged in. And God is pleased to use people even when it doesn't make sense. So don't tell me it doesn't work anymore, because it does. Acts 18.10, uh, a verse that I memorized. I'm so glad I memorized it because one time I was driving to campus and I was barraged by all, some attacks from the enemy, honestly. It was some, some thoughts in my mind. Is This is not going to work, this evangelism you're doing. This is, you're a scumbag, Paul, which I am, but Jesus saved me. Okay, whatever, let's move on. <laughs> you know, just a lot of doubts and things. And this verse, Acts 18.10, Jesus showed up to the Apostle Paul in a, in a dream and he said, For I am with you. No one is going to attack or harm you, for I have many people in this city. And it was as if in that moment the Spirit was whispering to me, I have many people on this campus. I have people that are, I'm working on right now that I want to use you to reach. They're there. I, I call it the divine Easter egg hunt. Okay? God is working in people's lives all around the world. And he's looking for people. Matthew 9, 36-38. When Jesus had, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord to send out, harv to send out workers into his harvest field. That passage is a powerful passage, where you see Jesus is just like, when he says he, that he has compassion on the crowds, it's not just like, oh, he kind of felt sorry for him. It's no, like, he had to do something about it. And Jesus had one prayer request. What did he say? He said, the harvest is plentiful. What's the problem? The problem is not with the harvest. Because the harvest is plentiful. The problem is the lack of laborers. And I think that's true on your campus, honestly. I think the problem is not with the harvest. I think there's people right now at University of Florida, right now, at the other campuses, the, your campus, Florida State, other campuses, I think right now there's people on those campuses that if a follower of Christ would befriend them, love them, pray for them, share the gospel with them, that they would come to Christ. The harvest is plentiful, so that, but the laborers are few. Are you a laborer? That's my question. Are you a laborer? And then what did he say? He said, pray for laborers. If Jesus was in your small group, your prayer time, he would have one prayer request, labors, okay? He wouldn't be praying for your, your broken ankle or whatever. He might. He would pray for it. He cares. <laughs> but he would pray for laborers. And then are you going to raise up laborers? Are you a laborer? Are you praying for laborers? And are you raising up other laborers? That's a life you can, I can get behind. That's a life I want to challenge you to live. What else do you have to do with your life? What else do you have to do with your life? Just, I, I'm, I've never got tired of that. The last one is kind of goes with the next, this one. It says it won't really make a difference. It won't really make a difference. You, you never know if it, until you try. You never know until you try. Who are you to say that? Um, I remember one time we were going out witnessing and and we, it was actually, actually when I was in college, this is when God started me on this process of sharing the gospel in a variety of methods. I believe you can argue about relational evangelism, initiative evangelism, 
mass evangelism, whatever. My, my philosophy is that the best kind of evangelism is the kind that you do. Okay? The best kind of evangelism is the kind that you do. And so we were, this was in college, my brother went out to go get some other guys. We were going to go out door-to-door witnessing in the dorms when you could still, when you're still allowed to do that. So he went out to get a couple other Christian guys, and I was alone in my room, and again, I was having this battle, and I basically, it was these lies that were saying, basically, this is not going to be effective. It was the enemy feeding me lies straight into my mind, just, this is not going to be effective, this is not worth your time, this is not strategic. And I remember praying, Lord, I, this, these sound logical, but Lord, please show me that this is worth my time. So we went out and we witnessed and we saw two people come to Christ. And I ran into this other guy named Travis that was a nominal Christian that wasn't going to church, that wasn't a part of any ministry. And I brought him that night to the BCM. He heard, he heard Max Barnett talking, my mentor, Max Barnett, and he heard him talking and he was like, whoa, that's heavy. And so I was like, hey, you want to meet up and talk about, he actually heard Max talking about witnessing. So I was like, hey, you want to meet up and let's, let's talk about how you can do that. And he's like, no, I don't want to witness. I don't want to do that. I like, well, let's just meet up and talk about how you can grow in your relationship with God. And so I met with him that week and then the next week and then the next week. And I started discipling him. I discipled him for like two and a half years, this guy named Travis. And I actually started getting a heart to go to India. Felt like God was calling me to India. And I was like, maybe I should go, but ended up staying in Chico. But God called Travis to go reach college students in India. So right now, Travis is in, in missions. He's, doing, he's, he's an answer to that prayer. Is it worth your time? Hmm. There's someone doing missions right now as, a result, as an answer to that prayer. Is it worth your time? Yes. Don't ever listen to the lies of the enemy that this is not going to make a difference or it's not worth your time or this person's not ready. Just trust the Holy Spirit, follow, obey. Ecclesiastes 11.6 So your seed in the morning and at evening let not your hands be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that or whether both will do equally well. So with that in mind, there's one tool that I, I feel like is the most important tool, the most helpful tool is it's called gospel appointments and a lot of you guys have heard about it but i'm going to show the video and uh and we'll give you guys a chance to check that out let's check it out yeah so i'd encourage you to check out gospelappointments.com or if you want to learn how to do that i think all of our staff here are equipped to teach you how to do it we have how-to sheets that really helps you learn how to share the gospel there's no reason not to share the gospel no biblical reason not to share the gospel and i believe that god wants to use you i really i've seen actually you've been you've you guys have started to see a movement of God. You've seen 20-something, 28 people pray to receive Christ, 22, 22 people pray to receive Christ at University of Florida. You guys are seeing movement happen. And so I want to just challenge you to trust God for more. Um, And I wanted to share a little bit more, um, but I kind of went off on some other top tangents and stuff. But uh, there's a tool I want to tell you about. It's called the Three Habits for Everyday Evangelism. And it's on... I can actually send you guys the link. Um, And so it's called Three Habits for Everyday Evangelism. It's a discipleship resource. It's a way to make spiritual, to make evangelism a spiritual discipline. And so it's called the Three Habits. And so it's praying every day for an open door. 
It's creating an impact list of people you're praying for. And then it's intentionally hanging out with non-Christians. Praying every day for an open door. Creating an impact list of people to pray for using the prayer, care, share strategy. Praying. For, you know, what I've discovered about this impact list thing, the people I pray for every day, people don't stay on that list very long. Because <laughs> they get saved. Because <laughs> Jesus loves, he loves it when we partner with him on his mission. And then the third thing is spending time with non-Christians. There's a, there was a couple that, when we graduated, my wife and I, we decided to, we got normal jobs. We didn't join, go into full-time ministry right away. We got normal jobs, and we made those goals, those three goals, those three habits, as a way to discipline ourselves to still be in the lives of people. And we, Christy befriended a girl named Jessica at, the, at work, and she started hanging out with her. She started going to lunch with her. She shared the gospel with her. She really befriended her. We prayed for them. She was praying for her every day. And we just hung out with them like a couple times outside of work. And they invited us to their wedding. And it turns out we were the only people besides family at their wedding. And they introduced us as their best friends. And it just shows that, that this, this generation is, is hungry for relationships. They, they, they need, they're lone. a lot of people are really lonely. Even, even the ones that are surrounded by the whole sorority, they're still lonely. They need, they need this generation, the people on your campus, they need God's love. And they're, they're desperate for the gospel. They need God's love and they're desperate for the gospel. So the motivation behind evangelism is love. We just want to love people. We want, we, our Christ's love compels us. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And those who live should no longer live for themselves but for the one who died for them and was raised again. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the way that you've loved us, that you've shown your grace to us, that you have given us your spirit. You've given us so many blessings in Christ. And I pray that we wouldn't keep these blessings to ourselves, that we would be motivated to share those with others, that your love would compel us. when We, we would be bothered by the people that we see in our, on our campuses that don't know you. That we would be not okay. You would give us your heart for the lost. And I pray that this time next year, there would be many, many gospel conversations had. And that you would rescue hundreds of students as a result of the gospel, appoint the gospel appointments and the gospel conversations that were had from the people in this room. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.